0: Thank you, man. Hmm. <laughs> Green tea ice cream is good. I'll get a sugar rush. <laughs> That's good. Thank you, son. As MC Hammer used to say, too legit to quit. <laughs>
1: he said that a long time a long, long time
0: (laughs) (laughs) the reason for uh, going into the vision of Ezekiel is because speaks powerfully of the corporate man i began to to say that when uh, when god said let us make man in our image after our likeness he saw the end from the beginning he was speaking of christ who is the spiritual man who is the perfect reflection of God now one of the things we must get used to is that part of what god is doing with us is forming us into one man it's okay? forming us into one man for your reference i'll point out point out <coughs> pardon me 1 corinthians chapter 12 verse 12 and following it says for by one spirit you're baptized into one body, whether you be Jew or Greek, and we've all been made to drink of the one spirit. Now, And he says, now the body is comprised of many members, but though all the parts are many, they form one body, referencing the human body as the analogy, and then he says, and so it is with Christ, for we were baptized by one spirit into one body. And then he goes on to describe the body in terms of the various parts and the related matter of giftings. So um, in in that uh, configuration, we're introduced to the body of Christ as a spiritual being comprised of the spirits, of those who have been both reclaimed by God and assembled to Christ. Now when we're born again, what is retrieved is the life of our spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. When God made us, He made us with an endowment of spirit out of His own person so that In our spirits, we are inherently compatible with God. We're not a dissimilar spirit. We're spirit out of His spirit. You know, when you say these things, we're trampling down, it's almost like this crowd is coming through and there are all these picket fences that are designed to keep us from coming into the fields, in the gardens of god and we're just running over these fences i mean think of how many buffers and baffles have been set up to tell us that god is so other than man that it is an is the epitome of hubris to suggest that there's any level of familiarity with god possible among us when the very opposite is true, not by our doings or intentions, but by His foreordained counsel. I mean, it's He who did it. It was His idea to make us of His Spirit, to endow being out of His Spirit. Now there's some questions that are raised in respect to that, which questions would include are we god to answer that and the answer is no but to answer the question see we ask questions that appear to be intelligent that appear to be forthright but more they they pardon me they display our ignorance it's it, it, in a in a rational perspectives we think that everything eternal could be answered uh, in the form of rational questions. There's so much more to it than that. So when, when we say, which is true, that we were created by endowments of spirit out of the person of God, when someone then says, does that make you God? It's, it's, it's a juvenile way of looking at things. Why? Why? because it does not understand what a gift is. It does not understand what a gift is. A gift, when it's it's made, has three uh, aspects to it. First, the giver must intend to give it. This is called donative intent. Donative intent, the intent of the donor to give it. So it was not a theft, it was not an embezzlement, you know, it was not a hold-up, it was a voluntary, intentional gift. So the first aspect of a gift is donative intent. The donor should intend to give it. Secondly... The donor must convey the gift. In other words, if you just mean to give it but it never gets conveyed, there's not a gift. still in your mind, still in your estate. It has not been given away out of your estate. So you must take some action to show donative intent. In short, you must convey the gift. Now even if you have intended to give it and, and it has been conveyed but it has not been received, then the gift still fails. So to complete the giving, the gifting process, there must be a reception of the gift. So if, if somebody sends you a package, it's dropped off on your porch and you never bring it inside and open it, the gift has not been complete. But here's the thing once these three qualities or qualifications or conditions have been met then the thing fully departs from the estate from your estate and becomes the sole and exclusive property of the one who has received it and you no longer control it okay So you can't say to someone to whom you intended to give a gift, to whom you conveyed the gift and who has received it, you cannot say to that person, give me back my thing. Because that process is recognized. Process donative intent means it's apart from duress. You fully intended to do it. You took the action voluntarily to convey it, and it was received. At that point, the person who has the best claim to that thing that once was yours is the one who has received it. And it becomes separate from you so thoroughly that you cannot reassert a claim that is valid against the one who has received it. If you're going to get it back, then there has to be an exact reverse of the process. The one who has received it, whose now it has become, must intend to give you back, give it back to you. And must convey it to you, and you must receive it back. Then it becomes yours again. Right? When God gave us a gift of spirit out of his own person, did he intend to give it? Of course. Did he convey it? Yes, you're alive. Body without the spirit is dead. And did you receive it? Of course, it defines you. So God can no longer claim the gift of spirit that came out of his person that now resides in you god god cannot claim it as your own as his own it fully endows you with being and it has the potential of representing god an aspect of god just as he intended that it should When he gave it to you. But before it can serve that purpose, what must happen? You have to return the gifting process. And when you do, you're not your own. (laughs) You died because the body without the spirit is dead. When you give it back to God, you died. Because that's what happens when you give your spirit back. And your life is now hidden with God in Christ. Hmm? And all that you are now is subject to his control. <laughs> Now, you've known these things. You know the Scriptures. When I I partially say the Scriptures, I watch you mouthing them. (laughs) You know the Scriptures. But when the breath of God breathes upon the Word, then the Word becomes flesh in your flesh. Hmm? So, when God envisioned the return of your spirit to His... He envisioned a way of collecting it again to Himself. He did not just make it possible that you should be reconciled to Him, He created the vehicle by which you may be received again into Him. And that vehicle is an endowment out of Himself that He sent into the earth in the person of a man named Jesus And that endowment of spirit that is capable of receiving all of our spirits and assembling them into one man, that expression of God in the earth and in heaven is called Christ. See, every one of us has a spirit and your spirit has the potential of representing or presenting God in a unique fashion. The manner in which the Spirit that is known as Christ was configured to represent God was to perfectly represent the love of God. Which was, though you have gone away, when you come back, He has made a place in Himself in which to receive you back And then to assemble you fully into his nature. Now, when you come back, your spirit is still burdened by your prodigal ways. So you have to be cleaned up, given a robe, given given the best robe, given your authority back, given your identity, your robe, given your authority back, and given your purpose back. Your shoes are the preparations of your journey, Right. So Christ, the assembly to Christ is a configuration of spirit that God foreordained. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. From what point in time? From Ephesians 1, from before the foundations of the world. You were seen predestined to be conformed to Christ. You were seen in Christ from before the foundations of the world. So this configuration of spirit that came into the world in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ was foreordained by God before the foundations of the world. And it was the thing that God foreordained that He saw in His image and in His likeness. And when He looked on it from before the foundations of the world, when He looked on the Spirit of Christ, knowing the end from the beginning, He called that Spirit Son. Son. Because that's what a son is, in the image and likeness of His Father. Christ is the Son Whereas we are sons, we are sons within the sun, the corporate entity. You can be sons within the sun because the sun is corporate. You are not just sons, you are the firstborn son. You are not just sons, you are the firstborn son. No man comes to the Father except by me. How do you come to the Father? By him. For by one Spirit are you assembled to one body, which is Christ. You are the firstborn son. That is why you are a joint heir with the son. You don't have separate inheritances. You don't have pieces and bits. You carry the name and the nature of the father as a firstborn son, as the firstborn son. God had two sons. They're both named Adam. There's the firstborn Adam. There's the there's the first Adam, and the last Adam. Now the last Adam is called the firstborn. Why? And you know, you know that the fir- the last Adam is Christ. Yet he's called the firstborn. Because the term firstborn does not refer to the first from the womb. In time, in time, in human time, the firstborn, the concept of firstborn, is the first from the womb. But from the eternal, the concept of firstborn is not possibly the first from a womb. So what then is it? The word for firstborn that is trans the word that is translated firstborn is the word primogenitor or primary of the generations the standard of the generations okay the primary the prime one the standard in time Primogenitor means the first from the womb. From the eternal, primogenitor, firstborn means the one who is most like the father. Therefore, the standard. So whenever you're going to reconcile men to the image and likeness of God, you're reconciling them to the very nature of God. So what reconciles us to the very image and nature of God? The one who is the standard. If you've seen me, you've seen my Father because my Father and I are one. So when you come back to the firstborn and you're assembled to the firstborn, you're given your place again. But you're also required to conform to the standard that is in the firstborn because you are the firstborn son. (laughs) That's why you suffer. (laughs) Because your soul is not immediately compatible to the standard of the firstborn son and it inhibits your spirit's activities in the representation of your Father who is in heaven. So when He reconfigures you to the standards of reconciliation, you are meant to appear as Christ. So when Christ, who is your life, appears... so when you regift your spirit's you have now authorized God to conform you to the standards of the firstborn. Is <laughs> <laughs> it say in South Africa? Eish! <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> So, when you are in Christ, you're part of a spiritual corporeity. Now, I said to you that there are things in heaven that have concentric circles to them. And if you start at the outer reaches of the circles, at the furthermost circles, each one is an iteration in a, in a less concentrated form than the prior one. And when you get to the center of it all, there is the lamb. So I want to show you that. And I want to show you in the process, you see, how the lamb is extrapolated further and further out and takes on different configurations. Because if this is the standard then we will see the standard from whatever vantage point we're able to first glimpse it all right so read uh, i'd like to i'd like to read the following to you it's important to see things in heaven first because if you first see them in the earth you don't know what they mean but if you see them from heaven then the qualities and characteristics that define them in heaven will follow them into the earth and will demystify the things that would otherwise be mysteries. These are the ways of God. Chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, verse 1, After these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven... And I heard, uh, and the voice, and, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, saying with, uh, speaking with me, saying, "Come up here, and I will show you that which must take place after this." Immediately, I was in the spirit, so. He is in the spirit and he is in heaven. That's not the same as being on the earth in your flesh. That's important contextually to come with that mind into heaven. A throne and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Now... You remember me saying to you that one of the things that God created heaven to contain were the covenants that uh, supported by His authority and His government. Therefore, the kingdom at the center of all of this is an authority that supports one that supports the vision of all of this, and it is like a person sitting upon a throne, throne being the authority. The person being the king. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. So brilliant colors in precious jewels, the idea of precious things. And there was a rainbow around the throne Thing is around it in a circle. In appearance, it was like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And on the thrones, I saw twenty-four elders. So the first the first reference to this is the authority. He's not so much focused on persons sitting on thrones nearly as much as introducing the concept of thrones from the throne. So you have the throne and 24 thrones around the throne. What it is meant to say to us is that there is a central authority that empowers a secondary authority. And 24, 12 is the number of government. I don't have time to speak to every reference symbolically. But 12 is a number of government, therefore 24 thrones is 12 times 2 intentionally spoken and that is to say you should look for this configuration of 12 in the earth as well. It's both realms because heaven and earth are configured out of the uh, the same alignment. I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And we could unpack that, but that's that's more than we have time for. And, for the, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. That's one of those things that arrested me because it said plainly the seven spirits of God and I had no idea what that was because I knew only of one spirit, namely the Holy Spirit. I didn't know it was referencing the characteristics of the one spirit, seven being a complete number. So whatever man needed in order to be reconciled to God was meant to be found in the Spirit of God. Completeness, seven spirits, everything we lost is contained within that which has come to restore us. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, power, uh, the fear of the Lord, yeah. Seven lamps are blazing which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, was a sea of glass, like crystal. You should, have, you should have referenced that before. It's called the firmament, clear as the sky. So here's a reference from heaven of the firmament. And in the midst of the throne, so it keeps, it keeps heaven from being visible to the natural eye because heaven is accessible in the Spirit. Come up here, and at once I was in the Spirit. And around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Now, what do you have? He's talked about there's a throne and there are 24 thrones meaning there's authority, central authority, and then there are um, pendant authorities, twelve and twelve, heaven and earth. But now he begins to focus more on who is meant to be supported by the authority of these thrones. So he says, around the throne are four living creatures. And these creatures are full of eyes in front and in back, which means there's really no front or back to them if they're filled with eyes. They can see in every direction. (laughs) Man in the Spirit can see in every direction. He can see the past, he can see the present, he can see the future. He can see from the earth, he can see from heaven. Full of eyes, the ability to see. Contrast that with what happened to us in the garden when the eyes of the spirit were closed and the eyes of the soul were opened and our vision became limited to the earth. One of the things that was forever foreseen was that we'd be able to see as God sees. We're meant to see as God sees. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a, a, an ox, is really the, the word. The third living creature had the face like a man and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures each had six wings six wings, which are full of eyes around and within. Now when you see these same four living creatures, you'll identify them by their faces. You will see, when you see them in the earth, which is Ezekiel's vision, you will see that they only have four wings. These are six-winged creatures because they need two to migrate from heaven to earth excuse me from earth to heaven so when you see them in heaven they have they are in their eternal positions signifying that they came up from the earth because god meant for them you see to start in the earth but to come to heaven so he shows them in their finished positions in their final positions. And how they get there is by two wings covered with eyes, like their other wings. So among other things, they have the ability to see how to move in the Spirit. Wings are the way you're transported. Wings refer to heavenly creatures, not so much earthly creatures although birds have wings. But these kinds of wings relate to the ability to move between the heavens, between heaven and earth. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before him. In short, the choreography of the 24 elders is determined by the timing of the four creatures. So the purpose of authority is to serve the four creatures. Whenever the four living creatures say and sing their song, the twenty-four worship. Authority is not an end within itself. Authority is meant to serve those for whom the authority exists. And that's the four living creatures and ultimately the Lamb. Cast their, And they say, worthy to receive authority glory and honor you are cre- you were created and uh, you created all things and by your will they were created and existed another place would say in chapter 4 would say chapter 5 rather would say in he- uh, chapter 5 verse 9 says and they sang in new song saying you're worthy to take the scroll, etc. Now if heaven were eternal, there's no place for a new song. A new song means a new song, one that hadn't been sung before. You see? Heaven is not eternal. Heaven is subject to the revelations of God. So they sang a new song in heaven because it was the time for heaven to pivot and focus upon what now has happened with the return of the Lamb to his place in the center of the throne. All of heaven and earth now would focus on what must come about because the Lamb was slain but has returned to the place in the center of the throne. When that happens, it's time for a new song. Heaven pivots to support in new reality. Yeah, otherwise, we wouldn't say a new song. You'd say they sang the same old story, which was always true, forever and ever. This was true, but they sang in heaven in new song. Because there appeared, chapter 5 says it, there appeared a lamb. Look look at this, First, chapter 5, uh, verse 2, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said, Do not weep, behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and this is one of the reasons I came back and read this, They looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders. So now you have the position of the lamb who's in the midst, right? And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain and then it speaks of the lamb himself as as a creature with seven horns which speak of all authority the horns being the power of an animal. So all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. He has seven horns, means he has complete authority. Seven is the reference to completeness. And he has seven eyes, which means he sees the end from the beginning as the characteristics of God. All authority and power, all seeing. So, So we refer to all powerful as omnipotent and all-seeing, all-knowing, as omniscient. Here is the omniscient one. Here is the omnipotent one. All-powerful, seven horns, omniscient, seven eyes. And He is the Lamb. And here, where's the Lamb? He's in the center of the throne. And... uh, The Lamb stood, and the seven, uh, and, and the seven. By the way, the seven horns and the seven eyes are the seven spirits of God, and what that means is that I will send you the Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit, and He will take of what belongs to Me, and He will make it known to you. He will not speak of Himself, but He will speak of Me. That is why He's called the Spirit of God. He's also at times referred to as the Spirit of Christ. He's at times referred to as the Holy Spirit. And he so serves Christ that he becomes his servant like Christ in his day on the earth was the servant of the Father the reason you cannot be forgiven of abusing the ambassador of Christ is that to do so you've abused Christ Himself. It's less likely for a king to forgive you for abusing his ambassador than if you attempted a coup against himself because his ambassador is vulnerable having laid aside his own power and authority to represent another. That is why when Jesus was here as the ambassador of the Father, when he was murdered, God could not hold back from destroying the city and the nation that killed him, because they killed the ambassador. That was the message, by the way, on the day of Pentecost, that God raised him from the dead, there was going to be the payment for the destruction of the ambassador. But because God raised him from the dead, the permanent, the 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 the, the punishment was not everlasting. But when the very Spirit of God comes as the ambassador of Christ, the Ever Living One and you despise the spirit of grace to the point where you call the Holy Spirit the spirit of the enemy, then you cannot be forgiven because because there remains no other offering by whom or by which you may know Christ as the one who saves you. It's not that you have trespassed in a way that God... can't forgive you. It's that you've made a declaration that indicates nothing else from heaven can avail on your account. You have been given heaven's best and you've called it the worst. You've called it the demonic. So... None of you needs worry about whether or not you've committed the unpardonable sin, <laughs> and it's very, very unlikely that you will ever run into anyone who has. But when the, but when you despise the spirit of grace, then you have only the vengeance of God to look forward to. Now, so. What we see then is the throne, and one who sits on the throne, or is in the center of the throne. Around him are these four living creatures, and, and note this too, that there are four living creatures, but each one has a different face. Each one has the face one has the face, one of the four has the face of a lion. Another has the face of an ox, yet another has the face of an eagle, and the fourth has the face of a man. Now, let us look at um, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1. I used to be very troubled by this vision for a long time. And then the time came when the Lord began to unveil this vision and this is the time for us to see the vision. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year and what we're discovering by this is the four creatures as the corporate man because you see them in heaven and they are in proximity to the lamb in the closest. So there's the lamb... There is, There are the four creatures, then there are the twenty-four elders, then there are rings and rings of angels. Right? So when you move in from the angels, when the angels lean in, they will lean in as far as they can to the living creatures. Because it's in the living creatures that the Lamb is revealed. You note the similarity between the living creatures and the Lamb. They see from the eternal. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the 4th month, on the 5th day of the month, I was among the captives by the river Chabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. This is Ezekiel the prophet. By now, whenever you're reading prophetic scripture, indeed, whenever you're reading any scripture, have your senses tuned to the fact that there are symbolic references in what appear to be natural references. It came to pass in the 30th year. What is the number 30? 30 is the year of maturity. It's a reference to maturity maturity to the point of being disclosed as capable of ruling. Thirty is the year of rule. So it speaks of a mature thing. How do you know that? Well, there are three people who came to rule, prominent rulers in the Scriptures. Joseph was at the age of thirty when he was let out of prison and became ruler in Egypt. Coincidentally, it was the same year that his grandfather, Isaac, died. Change of administrations, change of seasons, the promise reaching a different level of maturity. David was at the age of 30 when he first came to rule in Hebron, the place of joinings and covenants. You have to have a certain uh, level of maturity to enter covenants for the security of nations. And of course the Lord Jesus Christ himself was 30 when God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So this is speaking of the revealing of the mature man it was in the 30th year in the 4th month 4 is the number of the corporate man the presence of god was always meant to be carried in the earth <laughs> in the <laughs> in the form of the corporate man you understand that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you do. The presence of God was always meant to be carried in the on the shoulders of the four priests. The Ark of the Covenant is a type of the presence of God because it contained the covenants of heaven on the earth. The the the, the, the box was overlaid with gold and two cherubims uh, whose wings overlapped, forming a circle called the mercy seat. Telling us that this thing has its vesting in heaven, not on the earth. Because if it's depicted by angels, it's not of this world. So it has a transcendent quality. Even though it's in the earth, it references covenants from heaven. And what was contained in the box, of course, was a rod that budded, a pot of manna, the tables of stone, and the book of the law. So God intended to show that there would be a people who would be ruled, or whose life, rather, would spring from a rod that budded, which meant that they would not be connected in their life source to the earth, because you have a rod that's cut off, but it buds. It means its life is in itself. Right? Yeah. And then this, this, um, the, the part of manna was indication of the bread of life come down from heaven that they would eat that a man would not live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So God intended to have a people on the earth with a life that came from heaven who would be fed by the word of God and nourished in it and He intended to form them into a kingdom. Hence the law, the book of the law. These were covenants that were symbolized in a box with symbols of that of the elements of that covenant in a box in the earth, with the, the wings of the cherubims that where they overlapped created a circle. So you could see the covenantal form coming out of heaven, carried on the shoulders of four priests. Not a single man, not a single person, picking it up on his shoulders and carrying it but four men. It requires the corporate man to fully carry the presence of God in the earth. And that's what these four creatures represent. So, So it was the fourth month. In the year of your maturity, the corporate man on the fifth day of the month, five is the number of grace, this is the grace of God that appears to you, to the corporate man, in the year of his maturity. <laughs> well, what, what is that grace? It's a disclosure of the divine nature that is in each of us. When you are mature, you're led where you don't want to go. When you're mature, you're capable of representing another. Until then, you're a schoolboy. And somebody's paying your school fees. But after that, you become a man and you put away childish things and you take your place in the divine order that of which now you've been engrafted. And you can be revealed at that point as more than your natural life. You can be revealed. So on the fifth, on the fifth day of the month, he repeats it. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jeconiah's captivity, the word of the Lord came to me. So he's emphasizing three times the environment of grace, grace, grace. In other words. When the economy of heaven comes to the earth, what is not otherwise visible on the earth becomes visible. He said, I was 50 year King of captivity. The word of the Lord was expressed to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabah, and the hand of the Lord was upon him. I have to move more quickly here. Then I looked and behold a whirlwind was coming out of the north a boom. a boom yeah exactly whirlwind was coming out of the north a whirlwind a whirlwind represents change we say i've been in a whirlwind which is More change has occurred than I can keep up with. So when, when the time of the appearing of the corporate man comes to the earth, it will come like a whirlwind. And it will come with a great cloud and raging fire. Now this is like the day of Pentecost. When there came the sound like as of a rushing mighty wind. Like a whirlwind and cloven tongues like as a fire appeared and sat on them. That was in the beginning of our time on the earth, but it reaches a culmination. It's the law of the double appearance. It's the second happening of the thing. So there's coming a time, and I believe that time is upon us, when like Pentecost, a whirlwind will come on the earth, and the appearing of God like a raging fire will come. And brightness was all around, around it, and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire. Also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. So here is Waldo in the picture. here we are, here we are in the picture the four living creatures that come in a different season than Pentecost in Pentecost it was the first iteration but the amplified version of that comes at the time of the revealing of of the corporate man Pentecost was not the time of the revealing of the corporate man it was the time of the initiation of that which would become, when fully matured, the corporate man. So, Pentecost was tame compared to the whirlwind that is coming now. <laughs> exactly. And there was, and this was, okay, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, remember that face, each one had four faces and each one had four wings. Now, what we're seeing in the earth is in each one, all four. Okay, So he wants us to see that each one of us carries that which is collected up in a culminated form and represented by one iteration in heaven but all of us now on the earth have each of all four that is why each one is like the other okay so on the earth when we first appear on the earth we'll appear with all four faces yes now, what do these faces mean? What does this mean? They have the face of a man, so behind your face, behind your human face, you're a spirit. And you have the spirit of stubbornness, not as divination, but be you therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You have, you have an ability to hold fast no matter what is going down. Can you hear what I'm saying? Yes. That's why you're being tested like you've been tested. Will you hold fast? And the says, yes, you will. How do we hope to be overcomers if we overcome nothing? To be an overcomer is not just a, a popular nomenclature it really goes with a condition, a resulting condition. If you have overcome, you're an overcomer. (laughs) It's simple enough. And if you have not overcome, you're not an overcomer. You'll be given opportunities to overcome. (laughs) 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 And when you have overcome, the face of an ox is revealed in your spirit. So when you talk about any one of you, and describe the spirit of the person, because if we are in Christ Jesus, we are new creations. What does this new creation look like? It's a spirit being, because we know no one any longer according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. How do you look as a spirit being? One of the looks you have is that of an overcomer. Typified by the face of an ox. Not false courage, not pretended um, valiance, but the real thing, that you are unmovable. You get that way by being pushed back enough to where your feet dig in and you can't be pushed back. Why? Because you're supposed to carry the presence of God and everything in the earth that opposes God will also oppose you. The enemy cannot wage war successfully against God. He can only hope to wage war successfully against you, the Son of God. You are the vulnerability of God. But... Don't think God hadn't taken that into consideration. <laughs> He's put in you the resolve of an ox. Each one had four faces. Now, and and the the it it, uh, it tells us previously what the four faces are. You also have the ability as an eagle to soar in the heavens, to capture the wisdom of the heavens and bring it to the earth. You can see. You can see the eternal, you can see the natural. Then you have the ruler's spirit, The, the like a lion. Now let, let me go on and try to cover a little bit more of this before I stop. Okay? Are you okay? <laughs> Their legs were straight... And that the soles and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. The calf was the quintessence of the clean animal. The very essence of the clean animal was the calf. So your feet are clean, meaning your ways are not crooked. You're not duplicitous, you're not given to subterfuge. Your yea is yea and your nay is nay. Your legs are straight, they're not bowed or crooked as would indicate an unacceptable sacrifice without spot, wrinkle or blemish. But holy and blameless in His sight. Clean feet, straight legs, no blemish, no pollution, acceptable sacrifices. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So it speaks of the sacrificial nature of these creatures in the earth, worthy of being sacrificed. Straight legs, clean feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good how how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good tidings of great joy it should be to all people. Such you are. The very things that were said of Christ now may be said of you. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. You remember when Jesus appeared in the book of Revelation, chapter one or chapter two. When John turned around to see the voice behind him that was speaking to him, he saw the ascended Christ, and one of the things that defined him was he sparkled like burnished bronze, which has the appearance of gold. The hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides, So again it continues to have this duality of an appearing as a man, face and hands and uh, um, wings which which would say that they are also creatures of the heavens. I pointed out previously four wings as opposed to six wings because when you see them in heaven they have migrated from the earth and have taken their places in heaven and each had for faces and wings. Now, their wings touched one another, so they move not as separate beings, but they move as a corporate whole. Their wings touched each other. Their whole activities, the creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward, so they know the way. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man, each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side, each had the four of the face of an ox on the left side, and each four had the face of an eagle. We've touched that already. Thus were their faces. Their wings stretched upward, two wings of each one touched one another, and two covered their bodies." So they pointed to heaven and they pointed to one another. They covered their bodies because they were covered, as it were, with heavenly raiment, as opposed to fig leaves. Each one went straight forward when they went. Wherever the Spirit wanted them to go, they did not turn when they went. Now, what the Scriptures say is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. For whoever is led by the Spirit, that person is a son of God. So the fact that these on the earth are led by the Spirit makes them the sons of God. That's Romans 8, 14. For whoever is led by the Spirit of God is a son of God. Because you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear again, but you received the spirit of sonship by whom you cry, Father, Father. How do you tell that someone is a son of God? For whoever is led by the Spirit of God, he is a son of God. For the Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are the sons of God, that all four went wherever the Holy Spirit went, or wherever the Spirit went, designates them in the earth as the corporate man. Each one went straight forward, they went wherever the Spirit wanted them to go, and they did not turn when they went. In other words, with the Spirit, there is no shadow created by turning, because you're walking in the light. See, if you turn and the light is in a different... If you're going straight toward the light and you turn, then there's a shadow of your turning, right? But if you go straight forward into the light, there's no shadow created by your turning, Because you're walking in the light as he is in the light and you have fellowship one with another and you enjoy the benefits of being the sons of God while you're on the earth. So these things prefigure and foreshadow the spirit man who in his assemblage to Christ exhibits the characteristics of heaven and of Christ while they move together in the earth. Now Jesus said this is how you will know them that they are one, Father, even as you and I are one. You are in me, I am in you. Let them be one in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. This is a description of how they move as one. It's it's not difficult to say intellectually that we're one. The test is, do we move as one? And moving as one is not a competitive gesture because each one is led by the Spirit and whoever is led by the Spirit, such a one is a son of God and you can test their oneness because they move as one. In him we live and move and have our very being in this present world. They moved as one. (laughs) <laughs> and each one went straight forward, they went wherever the spirit wanted them to go and when they did not and they did not turn when they went. As for the likeness as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth, Among the living creatures. Do you remember what that refers to? When God established the covenant with Abraham, he had them slay animals and lay halves on their sides, and like a burning, like a torch or a a, a burning lamp, he moved through the sacrifices. That's when he established for Abraham the promise that would bring this into being in the end of the age. So he refers back to that promise. The fire moving among the living creatures who themselves are sacrifices. The fire was bright and out of the fire went lightning and the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. Again, uh, speaking of abilities and capabilities, that will attend the mature body of Christ. Philip was next found at Azotus. You can move that quickly. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. So each of the living creatures had a wheel. The appearance of the wheel was like the workings, and their workings was like the color of beryl and all four had the same likenesses. In other words, the, the, the wheels all appeared to be the same and they appeared alongside the creatures. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. This speaks of symmetries of their, of their um, rotations. Uh, they, they, they not only moved together but indeed they were one in the spirit. They were one as they moved. the wheels, you see the spirit of the living creature was in the wheel. He'll say that in a moment. So when when what when what you are is personified by an external manifestation like a wheel beside the creature and all the wheels, function like a wheel in the middle of a wheel, like concentric circles or whatever whatever form that comes to be. It means that their, their mobility, what they're moving toward, what their goal is, is the same. And there is no, there's no competition among them for preeminence. One of the things that has been said here today is that God is bringing forth a time when each joint will supply and everyone will be as one. So the greatest expression of which we are capable is not as individuals. Imagine if an individual had to write the lyrics, arrange and play the music, and um, publish everything, and perform. At some point, your best will be obvious. At some point, whether or not you're a dancer will be distinguished from whether or not you're an arranger or a composer or a lyricist or a musician. But if all the creatures, if the spirit in the creatures is like a wheel and they all move with the same rotations, then you will see the harmonies of heaven explode upon the earth and the world will see the corporate sun as the carrier of the glory of God. All of these things speak of an absolute lack of competition because they aren't unified. It's not, the, it's not about being in unity, it's about being one. <laughs> the whole picture is that they all see what God is showing them because their eyes under their wings, their eyes in the wheels, everything is moving according to a heavenly vision. And their their rotations, their motivations, the thing that drives them is the same. What will the earth think when it sees the glory of God in the harmonies of men, of humans? They will say, show us your ways. Show us your ways. We can't compete with you. I mean, if you have to be the producer, the writer, and the director, then you have a B movie. You know, you've got a personalities vehicle. Because no one is good, is exceptional at everything. And the world has only seen the best of what men are capable of in their individual performances. The world has not seen how someone writes for someone who dances the thing. And that—that that is in the head of the writer to be performed by the dancer when he writes it and the musicians who perform it are attuned to the grace, perform the sound, are attuned to the grace of the dancer. Everyone does it for the benefit of the other. Everyone prefers the other more than himself. Who would do a thing like that? For God so loved the world that He preferred us more than Himself. Being like God is not a religious thing. It's a practical thing. It's what describes the sons of God in their corporate functioning. The appearance of their <laughs> workings... The Verse um, 16, two-thirds of the way down... The appearance of their workings was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they moved they moved they went toward any one of four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. As for their rims they were so high that they were awesome. Now that's a real use of the term awesome. <laughs> Not every mediocre effort being judged to be awesome. These were high. (laughs) As for their rims, don't see spinners here. (laughs) As for their rims, they were so high they were awesome and their rims were full of eyes. All around the four of them. When the four living creatures went the wheels went beside them. When the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. When, wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, because there the Spirit went and the wheels were lifted together with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels." When those, went, when those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. When those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them. No one was left behind. For the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. The likeness, <laughs> this is interesting, the likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads, and under the firmament, their wings spread out straight, one toward another. Each one had two with which, uh, two which covered one side, and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. You notice this: that the same description of the firmament in heaven describes them here in the earth. So they are in a heavenly reality though they're in the earth. They they remain connected to the heavens although they're functioning in the earth. And at times they would be lifted up which is the prophetic symbol. You're taken up out of, come up here and sit with me. So the times when they are refreshed in their understanding of the heavens so they may come back and function again in whatever direction the Spirit would lead them. And under the and under the firmament, their wings spread out straight toward one another. So when they were in the heavens, they were seen in the glory of the heavenly manifestation of who they are. In the earth, it spoke of their functioning. And they, they functioned in the earth as they are designed for in heaven. They live in the earth in the fashion in which they were designed to function in heaven. They were shown in heaven and they are acting in the earth in consistency with who they are in heaven. Whether they are below the firmament or above the firmament, whether they appear in the colors native to above the firmament or they appear positionally in the in the earth below the firmament, they're functioning and acting out of a divine identity. Each one had when they went verse twenty-four, when they went I heard the noise of their wings. Like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty. Now, what is the sound of the voice of God again? Like the sound of many waters. That's what it says. When I, where I heard the, the noise of their wings like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty. So what are they doing? They're speaking for God in the earth. They're making the sounds of heaven. They're uttering the words of God in the earth. What do you think is the likelihood that what they're saying will not come to pass? What do you think is the likelihood that what they're saying will not create in the earth? What God is speaking to create. One of the things the voice of God does When it speaks in the earth, it creates. In fact, I have it on good authority that the word of God spoken in the earth cannot leave a void. It cannot come back to heaven without creating the thing that it was uttered in, that it it being uttered in the earth was designed to create. This is a description of an environment of the miraculous where things that are not being spoken become the things that are. Their voice is like the voice of the Almighty speaking, like the sound of many waters. And it's because it's a unified sound and not a singular sound or a divisive sound, because it's one sound, of many voices, it creates in the earth that which the sound releases when the voice of God speaks in the earth. One of the things that this voice will do is it will shake the earth and the heavens. This is the means by which God means to shake not only the earth but also the heavens. You know, it says that in the last days, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. How does God do that in the last days? By the four living creatures, moving as one, speaking with the voice of God. Because their mandate, like their vision, is heavenly. And when, like Elijah, they speak against uh, 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 Jezebel and, and Ahab, then it stopped raining. Like when Peter and John were in a prison in Philippi, and they were speaking the words of God in song, they were in a prison, in a prison, in a prison. They were in a prison, a physical prison, they were in an inner prison, and they were in stocks, which is a form of personal prison. Though you are in a prison, in a prison, in a prison, the most Um, secure way of shutting you down. When you sing in the prison, the sound will come from heaven and it will shake the prison to its foundations and everyone within the sound of your voice will be loosed out of their prison. And you say to them, your sins are forgiven. Whenever the sound of the Lord... And it was Peter, uh, excuse me, it was Paul and Silas and I believe Timothy and Apollos, four of them. In the prison, in the prison, in the prison, they were singing. And God shook the, the prison to its foundations and every door flew open. That means opportunity. When the corporate man sings in the middle of his adversity, it will shake the prison to its foundations and everyone is free to go. The word will not return void. Well, because... I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of many, like the voice. It tumult, like the sound of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. A voice came from the firmament, which was above, which was over their heads. Wherever they stood, they let down their wings. And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne, In appearance, like a sapphire stone, the throne of God. On the likeness of the throne, on the throne was the likeness, um, of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also, from the appearance of his waist upward. And you can see the description here of Jesus as he appears in the book of Revelation to John. So, the one who is on the throne is above them. They are operating in the earth by the authority of the throne and they shape the course of history. I'll stop there because this is as much as I think we can all Except for this. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all about it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice I heard a voice of one speaking. "What are you designed to carry? The presence of God? When you carry the presence of God, you're carrying the glory of who He is. These are the creatures, corporately as one, carry the glory of God, and they stop the show in heaven and on earth. I'm tired. So So I commend you to God and to the word of his grace that is able to build you up and I believe is able to establish you among the sanctified. May grace, mercy, and peace be with you always. Your eyes have seen the glory of the appearing of the Lord. The Lord whom you seek will now suddenly come to his temple. You can't endure the day of his coming unless he's preceded by a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. That's to make you acceptable, to contain and to carry the fullness of your inheritance as part of the corpus Christi, the body of Christ. Amen.